I tell you what, just stop right where you are. Let's pray. Just stop right where you are. Let's pray, and then um, we'll go uh, beyond that. Oh God, who has called and gathered a people from the ends of the earth to serve you, grant the increase of your spirit among us, that your name may be glorified, and we might be faithful, and all who sit in darkness and the shadow of death might be saved. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, lots of stuff coming around. You should have four, um, you got four bits coming. If you don't have four, we'll talk about that in just a second. But don't, if you get four, that's what you're supposed to have. This goes to Russia. The bishop was here for just a little while. Spur of the moment, if you can have a spur of the moment coming from Russia. So uh, the bishop was here. Um, take a little collection for him and send it on. That'll be nice. Here's a, uh, if you could just sign in, that would be nice too. Let's see here. Oh, look at that. thought I was short. So there you go. Um, questions about anything? Thanks for coming back. We're nearer to full strength than we've been for a while. So uh, we'll, we'll go with a few things here. Um, well, thanks, Barb. I want to try to be as careful as I can today and not go too quickly. I also don't want to bore you because uh, I don't always know what you know. So has everybody got four things? You should have two full sheets. No? Okay. We're still coming. There's still faithful people who are helping. Are you out, Mr. Lee? I did 125. What did you have? Oh, okay. Yeah, we got, I, got, I should have enough of everything. I should, have, I should have enough stuff. You should have a booklet that says um, how a Christian should be taught to confess. Anybody need that? Raise your hand if you need that. How a Christian should be taught to confess. This whole side doesn't have it. Okay, we'll send that back to you. You should have another little thing that says Section 3, Table of Duties, just a little clip from the Catechism. You got that? Everybody got that one? Okay, we'll keep going. So we don't have. Okay, we'll keep going. I made 125. I'm still stunned that I'm... We did? Uh-huh. All right, well, um, how about... Uh, do you have this thing that says Practical Mercies on the top, number 10? Who doesn't have the thing that says Practical Mercies on it? Who doesn't have that? Everybody's got that. All right, that's going to be that's going to make make it okay. Um, who doesn't have the thing that says Table of Duties, Section Three? Oh, you got oh, good. You still got some. No, I was counting those. See, okay, good. I thought I was short. Then it's just a just a delivery, just a delivery thing. Okay, that's good. I'll ask you in just a second. I think we're going to be okay. Um, I don't know if there's anything. Uh, I don't know if there's been a thing, or at least this would be one of the things where probably the gap between what we presume that you know and, the, and what you really know, it may be widest at the confession point. But now, we'll see this. I'll just put this out there kind of to test you. You know, we, we presume um, you're a very sophisticated group. Uh, you live in Wheaton, Illinois. Uh, you know, there's Bibles and catechisms everywhere, and sometimes we presume, you know, we presume too much or maybe not. So I'll try to go at a pace that sort of cleans, cleans things up and gets us all on the same page. Um, my first disclaimer, uh, you know, what I'm going to push you toward 
is something that looks like making a good confession. I don't, you know, don't, don't hold the definition too much. I'm just, just trying to move you toward what's kind of classically known as making a good confession or making an honest confession or making a full confession or something like that. Don't hold that too much. I'm just telling you what the goal is on the horizon. Um, I also know that almost every time I've spoken of this, people immediately presume that I'm talking about you coming to private confession with me. So I want to start with this disclaimer. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. What I want to talk to you about is any confession that you make, which is any time you confess your sins to God or another person. So I'm talking about when you say, uh, forgive us our trespasses as you lie in your bed at night all alone, and it's just you and the Lord. Forgive us our trespasses. And you remember in the early church, they regularly used the Lord's Prayer. They didn't sort of, you know, we pray it at a clip, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. In the early church, um, they often hung, they used that as a skeleton, and they hung their extra petitions, like the ones we pray at the side, remember the sick, remember Ghana, remember our church, remember our bishop. In the early church, they often um, used the, the Our Father as a framework for their concerns. I find that I often do that too. You might try that. So Our Father, and then a pause point about what you might need um, a daddy for what you might need a Heavenly Father, what it means to have a Father, what a Father promises to you, what a Father is good for, how your own doubts about your Father might be cured in confession. You see, um, so we, we're used to saying the Lord's Prayer, boom, ba-boom, 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 but really, um, someday when we talk about prayer, uh, it can be prayed in a much longer, broader thing, so it might, you, might, you might work the Lord's Prayer for 20 or 30 minutes. That's a little digression. Here's my primary point. When I talk about confession, however long we talk about this, I'm talking about when you get to the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses. I'm talking about when we say, I poor and miserable sinner on Sunday. I'm talking about the quiet time just before that says, now is the quiet time for self-examination. I'm talking about how you engage with each other. So you might go to somebody and say, I'm really sorry I sinned against you. Here's what I did. Please forgive me. And I'm also talking about should you come for private confession and want that kind of comfort. So I just, I just, but I just want to put it out there because um, we've thrown, we've thrown this, you know, we've, we've run through a couple of trial balloons with this over the past few weeks in different venues. And um, what we found is that people immediately presume that we're talking about private confession. I'm talking about any time you're saying to the Lord or anybody else, I sin, please forgive me. Okay, so you got that straight? Okay, everybody okay? So I just, just hear that in the broadest possible way. Uh, now, hopefully, you probably have looked down, but I wish I should have not had you. Don't turn your papers over yet, class. <laughs> Iowa basic skills. Don't turn your papers over, especially in Iowa. There's a double probation if you turn it over in Iowa basic skills in Iowa. You can remember Mrs. Trimpey saying in first grade, don't turn over your Iowa basic skills. So, you know, my first, the first point today is love. But without looking down, if I asked you what love is, in five words or less, what would you say? When I say love, what do you think of? Your free association is what? Shout it out, help me, or I'll just keep talking. <laughs> if I say love, what do you say? You do think compassion, closeness, good. What else? It is action, good. Keep going. 
I just want to gather up. I just want to see what you say. If I say love, you say? God, good. Safety, Safety good. Understanding. Good. Understanding. Keep going. The body, the body of Christ, good. What else? <laughs> Compassion. How about a big kiss on the lips? Forgiveness. What else? Aha. You're too shy, but perhaps it'll get better. Um, here's forgiveness is very nice. Um, go, please. Passion, good. What else? Sacrifice. Thank you very much. Sacrifice is good. Mercy is good, too. Now, that was better than I thought it was going to be. Um, it might be because you're in Bible class and you're shaping your answers. If we have a couple of beers at my house later and I ask about love, you might have different answers. But let me just say that, um, you know, normally, about half of those answers were um, uh, kind of pure biblical answers. None of them are wrong. There are no wrong answers. Uh, none of them are wrong, but about half of them were style points, and about half of them were biblical points. Those are not unrelated, but it's extraordinarily important to tell the difference. Okay? It's just really important to tell the difference. Uh, why? Because, and, you know, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, I've kind of, just so you know, um, and I said this actually in the new members class yesterday to some new members who stayed after and were quizzing me about take down and what's happening. The pastors are trying to walk, and I, and I think the leaders too, but primarily this falls with us because we teach. We're trying to, trying to walk this very fine line of not ignoring all that we've gone through, but I think you even heard a change in tone in Pastor Nelson's sermon last week and this week. We're not, while we're not ignoring that, and we've tried to be very careful about picking up everything that's happened to us over the past few months, um, we also know that healing comes with progress and moving on. So, and in some, in, in a little bit, I mean, a few people have sort of said to us, you might have kind of overplayed that hand. Can we just kind of move on? Um, yeah, okay, uh, we can. I just didn't want you to think that we weren't going to look, you know, what troubled us in the eye. On the other hand, you know, we too want to be free of, uh, in a proper biblical way, of the sadnesses we have and move on. But one of the things I was most concerned about in that whole deal was how often people said about each other, he's unloving or she's unloving. Um, because mostly when I heard that, I recognized that to be a judgment about emotion. That was a judgment about, normally it was said when somebody didn't get what they wanted, which is the most basic and immature, and really not even a definition of love, but it's the most basic and immature way to think about love. It's, a, it's, a, it's an infant's kind. When an infant doesn't you know, have a bottle, they cry and feel, if you will, unloved. The other end of the spectrum would be when the Lord punishes you, say, because you don't come to church for a very long time, or maybe your church attendance is very sporadic, and so the Lord punishes you to humble you, to return you to the community and the altar as an act of love. Now, I doubt that that is what you would normally say, but that's a much more biblical definition of what love is than you didn't give me what, what I want or even you didn't give it, you, me what I wanted in exactly the style that I wanted it, so therefore you don't love me. So the very first point I think says start with Christ, which is where everything should start. 
who is our Lord and our righteousness and our judge. I put that only there because we're still talking, you know, we're going to swing back to this notion of justice and mercy. We're kind of expanding on the notion of what mercy is and love. But so the first point, um, best to start with Christ, our righteousness, our Lord, and our judge. And that you can hear that in a, in a gospel way. When somebody says to you, Jesus is your judge, your answer should be, I am so happy about that because he judges me righteous. And for all the stuff I've done, he nevertheless looks at me this morning and says, you're forgiven, you're righteous, you're fine, go free, have a nice life. He says that to all of you too. He says it at the Eucharist. He says it in absolution. He says it on account of your baptism. Start with that. But then I give you point number two. Um, Christ is love. And you probably, you know, you're fine with that, and that probably would fall off your tongue. I don't know if anybody said that. But Christ is also, and now this is going to um, kind of scrunch up on you a little bit, way, truth, and life. The way forward, the way of community, and the way of joy. Can you pull your Bibles out for just a second and go get the Gospel of St. John? God is love, Christ is God, Christ is love. You know, that's easy. But I don't, I, you know, what, what I, partly the reason, you know, you know this and you would believe me without looking it up, but partly the way, what I want to do is try to equip you for any conversation going forward. One of the nice things I have observed in the congregation over the past few months is that people have uh, begun a much more careful check of their presuppositions. And also, there's been a range of people who have gone from silence to speaking gently based on the scriptures. Um, that's a good move, and what we want to try to do is encourage you to have these kind of passages marked in your scriptures. So, um, John 14, 6, if you go to John chapter 14, is just, is just, a, uh, just a very, very nice little piece of work where Jesus has started, you know, with let not your hearts be troubled. So wherever you are, just, you know, ease up. And then Thomas despairs, you know, I, I, don't, have, I don't have a clue what you're doing, and maybe you felt this way too. I don't, I, what in the world is the Lord up to? I'll tell you what he's up to. He's up to the same thing he's always been trying to do, which is extend his kingdom, which is to root out evil and bring joy. It's, that's what's happening here too. Um, what we have to admit, all of us, is where our evil was, let go of that, open our hands, let the evil go away and let our hands be refilled with love. That's where we're going. So Jesus says, don't be so worried. You know, kind of like the gospel today. Just relax about the fish. We'll go to the deep water. Okay, don't be worried. Thomas, you know, you've got to love Thomas because he says what's on his mind. He's very brave. First kid always to talk in class. Thomas, you know, we don't know what we're doing. Jesus, verse 6, um, I am the way, and your Bible's better if it has a big W there, I am the truth, and I am the life. So um, you're on the way, and the way is Christ. Okay, So that's why your life and mine is meant to be an imitation of Christ. So love is going to be whatever Christ would do in a particular situation. That's what love's going to be. Now, that you're encouraged in that. Even the Luther comment today is a very nice one, where he says, when the Eucharist is put into you, you become one with Christ. That's very hopeful. If you get the Eucharist, there's actually the chance that you'll do what Christ asks you to do. Like Peter today, when you know, this is great. Jesus says, throw your nets into deep water. And he doesn't, he doesn't argue with him. He just throws his nets into deep water. That's what we have to all learn to do together here. 
not going to be easy. It's not easy to love people. It's not easy to love people you don't like. But love needs to be the predominant thing. However, it's not love as you define it or as I define it. I didn't get my way. It's going to be love exactly how Christ defines it. Okay? And the upshot of that is, um, this is a very nice section in John. So you have, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So when you walk, walk in my way. And when you go, know that you're in my light. And you, as you go, go with the confidence that know that what you do is the truest thing. And then these great verses, um, John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So he puts his words into you. They're, like, they're sort of like uh, you know that foamy stuff you spray under your window that expands like that. It's like he fills you with his joy and you're completely full up, which is exactly what you want. Everybody wants a congregation that's marked by joy, but what we have to understand is that joy is the last thing. You don't get joy, as you all know, by chasing joy. You get joy by following Christ. So the most joy, this, and so this is a whole other study someday about joy is not about what makes you happy. The biblical definition of joy is <coughs> doing exactly what Christ said. The biblical definition of joy is way, truth, life. The biblical definition of joy is obedience. Here it is a gospel word. The biblical definition of joy is living as little Christs in every situation. Got it? And I said nothing about you yet. If I ask you what love is, you say, when I get what I want, even if it's another person. If I ask you about joy, you say, whatever makes me happy. You go to the Bible, what's love? Christ in you? What's joy? Walking in way, truth, and life. You get it? So this is why the first, so that means Christ is the first thing. So point number one, start with Christ. Point number two, let Christ play by, play by Christ's definitions. Let Christ give definitions to your word and to your life. You still with me? This is not difficult to, to hear it is extraordinarily difficult to do. Christianity is very hard work. Are you still, are you still okay? Because it's going to be extraordinarily important as we go forward that you accept this. Because otherwise, we can't talk. If we don't agree on the definitions of words, we can't talk. You ready? Okay? All right, we're going to keep going then. So Christ is love. Now here's the next thing. If I said Christ is love to you, you would say to me, why is Christ, well, I'll just ask you. You know, I shouldn't guess. If I say to you, why is Christ love, what would you say? Why is Christ love? Christ is love, love is Christ. Why is that? Why is that true? I don't want to define the question any more than that because that's how the biblical question comes and that opens up in the Gospels. But if I say Christ is love, love is Christ, why would you say Christ is love? What would you say? Just off the top of your heads, just quickly. When I say that. Okay, so he goes to the cross. Good. That's right, because Christ is, Christ is divine, exactly. So he's a divine expression of love. So kind of the, by nature and then by action, what else? What does Christ do that's loving? I'll put it to you that way, which is I, I wanna, I'm, it's a leading question, I know. Grace. But Sorry? Grace. He gives grace. And give me some examples of what that grace looks like. He bumps into a leper and heals him. He sees Lazarus and says, come out, you know, rise up. He sees the blind guy and he spits in his eyes. You see again. He gives us his body and blood in the Eucharist. Thank you very much. Um, 
we normally think about it as action first. That's exactly right, but those once again are the next action. Okay? So Christ is love because, now here it is, he fulfills the law. Christ is love because he's perfect. And then because he's perfect, he does all the rest of the things. And it's extraordinarily important for you to see this connection. Christ, says the text, is the end point, the fulfillment of the law. I give it to you there as Romans 10, verse 4. Um, I often don't give you quotation marks, but if I give you in bold and italics, that's almost exactly what the text says. Sometimes it's exact, sometimes I've fiddled a couple of translations together to give you know, the strongest meaning I can. But look at just, I suppose you should just look at this. You shouldn't leave me. Look at Romans 13. Just spin to Romans. So just, you're at John. Just go right in your Bible a little bit farther. Okay, Romans 13, verse 10. Okay. So Romans 13, verse 10. Love fulfills the law. Now this is a, you know, this is the story about, um, you know, all the things that Christians do. But the basic thing is, love is the fulfilling of the law. Romans 13.10. Love fulfills the law. So Christ is love. Christ fulfills the law. And then if you just go back a little bit, Christ is the end point, the telos, the goal of the law. The Greek word is telos, like you would know. Sometimes we even bring that into English. It means your end point. It's like if you have a line segment, the point at the end, or if you're going, it's, it's what you tap into your GPS. That's a telos, your fulfillment. You finally made it to Palm Springs, or in your case, Cairo. So, um, you know, Christ is the end point of the law, 10-4. But now look at the other place where Christ fulfills the law. You've often heard, and perhaps been mystified by, the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus came as a greater lawgiver than Moses. And in the Sermon on the Mount, whichever version you use, it often feels like that. But the Sermon on the Mount, if you want to look at it, just go to Matthew 5, or you can pick up any of the ones. Jesus seems to be, a, it, it could be heard as Jesus is tougher than Moses. You know, you've heard it said that. But I say to you, you've heard it said that if a man strikes it, but I say if a man calls if he, if, he, if, he doesn't, if he even calls his brother a fool, he goes straight to hell. People go, whoa, Jesus tougher than Moses. Which can then make you go through your whole life like this, unless you understand that Christ fulfills the law for you and gives it to you as righteousness. Now, I'm, I'm covering a lot of ground that I just presume anybody who's been in the Lutheran church for more than about 10 minutes knows. But maybe I was wrong. Or maybe we just need to hear it again. Christ is God. God is love. Christ is love. Love is fulfilling the law. Fulfilling the law in word and deed. And Christ does that perfectly. You still with me? You still okay? You've heard this before, but I, somehow our glitch is in the payoff in how we care for each other and how we make our confession. Okay? You still okay? I'm going to feel like I may not be saying this as clearly as I want to say it. 
I hope you um, will hear this as joy, although at point number four, now I'm just going to give you Jesus' definition of love. You might say love is emotion. You might say love is good feelings. You might say love is charity. You might say love, you know, whatever it is you say. There it is, John 14, 15. To every disciple, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Okay? Jesus keeps the commandments perfectly, and Jesus says love is perfectly keeping the commandments. Now that's brutal in one sense. It's haunting. I mean, the words that I am most distressed by, I think, in the whole New Testament is when Jesus says to the disciples, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And that's a devastating, yeah, that's a devastating critique for any person or any church. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you all show up here on Sunday morning and not do what I say? Why don't you tithe? Why don't you come every week? Why do you speak ill about each other? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? It is a devastating critique of all of us. I mean, it just levels you. Exactly right. And I actually just, and I'm actually right behind you, you know, in the section three of, he said, especially when it said to the bishops of his church, um, you, if you read, you know, you push section three of the catechism, I gave you too hard on the first page to bishops and pastors. There's nobody that measures up to that. So here's the truth. You don't measure up to be a Christian, and I don't measure up to be a pastor. It's, it's just horrible. Hurt is the law, okay? Hurt is the law. It's a horrible thing. Love is perfection, and you're imperfect. You don't love anything or anybody. Boom, that's the end of you. It's just devastating. The gospel, of course, is that Christ fulfills the law and gives you that righteousness as a gift. So here it is. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So here, here, here's the transition. You get forgiven, and then you get to keep his commandments. So we work at our giving, we work at our tithing, we work at our attendance, we struggle toward our prayers, we try to be nice to people that we don't even like, we even try to give the most leeway, not to the people we like most, but to the people we know who have hurt us. It's very difficult to be a Christian. It's Jesus, you know, having the nails pounded through his hands, and he keeps the heart beating in the soldier who's pounding his hands. Had Jesus wanted to, he could have given the guy a heart attack on the first stroke. The most amazing act of love is that he gives the soldiers life so they could crucify him. See, so that's not love about emotion, or that's not love about feeling, that's not love about anything. That's love about perfection. That he perfectly keeps the commandments. He perfectly keeps his Father's will. You're going to hear in the Gospel next week that Jesus is going to set his face like flint toward Jerusalem, the heart of stone they knew. He turns from one direction north, he turns south. The text says he set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. Everything is hardened toward the cross and he will not be dissuaded. It's perfect love because it's perfect obedience. Okay? You still okay? I mean, this stinks <laughs> in one sense. This is, very, this is very heavy stuff. On the other hand, Christ has been put into you at the Eucharist this morning. You're one with Christ. Christ is perfect. You're perfect. It's great. How do you know you go to heaven when you die? Christ is perfect. You're perfect. He's indestructible. You're indestructible. How can you go home today and even live it all knowing you could never do this? 
because Christ is in you and Christ forgives you and Christ prompts you and we don't run by our own steam and he gives you his Holy Spirit and he teaches us and he looks for progress and he nudges us and even punishes us when we get out of line. Not because he likes to see us suffer, but because he likes us like him to set our face like flint toward what is the way, the truth, and the life, a life within the cross. You still okay? You got it? What's happening here is that all your subjective notion, you should never say of anybody, he's unloving, or what an unloving person, if you mean anything except that, they, except that they've broken one of the Ten Commandments. Because to love is to keep all ten of the commandments. To perfectly love your spouse is not just roses and a proper dinner reservation on the 14th of this month, reminder to you husbands, but it also means utter faithfulness utter kindness, utter fidelity, you know, utter respect. So, what, now, and that's what we're going to work at over, over these. So, point number five then. Oh, I'm sorry, point number four. The second thing is very, very important, the second bullet point there. Love is utterly objective and always active. So, I think Marilyn said before that love is action. In Scripture, love is always a word about action, not a word about emotion. Love is emotion doesn't come in as a, as a real big deal until the Middle Ages with chivalry and, and King Arthur and all that kind of stuff. That's where love is, as emotion as a comes in. It's just a thousand years before that happens. In the church, love is doing the right thing. Love is action, doing the Christ thing. That's what love in the church is, which sometimes hurts. Nails through your hands. Sometimes hurts. Loving the person next to you. Sometimes hurts. Being disciplined for not coming to church. Sometimes hurts. Giving up what you have for somebody else. Yeah. That's real love. So it's important then to know that love is utterly objective. If you say to somebody, you're unloving because you broke the fifth commandment. You know, I only have a few minutes left. Um, But when you do that, you want to be doing it so that you restore people back into the church. Look at the next one. When we step outside Christ and his words, we risk unlife, unjoy, unchrist. We risk death. Persistent unlovingness means persistent disobedience, which is to risk death. It is to lose everything along the way. You lose truth. You lose your way. You lose your life. And ultimately, it's the end of you. Now, the good news is this is what Christ comes to bring you. Um, and you notice how well he does, for example, in the gospel for today with this guy who's been up working all night and got nothing for his efforts. What do we do? Oh, you should go to the deep water. And he gets a mild protest. I've been working at this a long time. But, like Mary at Canaan, do whatever he tells you. Peter says, I'll do whatever you say. I mean, here's the bottom line. If you want a loving congregation, if you want a, a loving family, if you want to be a loving person, do whatever Jesus says. Love is obedience. Heard as the gospel, love is the best way. Love is pure truth. Love is pure Christ. Love is not subjective. Love is not getting what you want. 
Love is getting what Christ wants. It's extraordinarily important. And when we step outside the cross in his words, there is a way to return home, which is to confess. So I'm at point number six. So there is a way to return home. What's, what's, what's great about our Heavenly Father is he knows how much we need to be back in Eden. He knows that that's our telos too. Our end point is to get back to Eden, to be fully human. Um, Pastor Ganey was musing in the new members class of the women's Bible study, I don't remember which, about how Paul talks about, he says at one point, remember, why do you bite and devour each other? He describes human beings, it's church people, he describes them as animals. Why do you bite and devour each other? Because to be in sin is to be somehow less than you're meant to be, to be subhuman. Christ gives us a chance to be fully human again. It's the life that you want and that I want. He gives us the chance to be what we're meant to be. Now, the only way to do this, and I know that some of that may be, you know, I don't know if all that is sinking in, but here's the thing. How do you do that? You lose the things that are outside the Ten Commandments and you keep the things that are inside. How do you lose those things? You lose them by making a good confession. Now, I'm not going to try to say that, here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not trying to make a judgment about your confession. I'm trying to show you, as the catechism does, what a full confession is. To live in truth, you have to know what truth is. You've got to study it. it was, it's the epistle for today when Paul says, you've got to use your mind so people can say yes. You can have agreement. You can have community. Listen to the epistle. Go home and read it again. It can't all be internal, subjective. That's exactly what Paul's saying today in the epistle. He's saying, it's not, he said, if I just gas on about what's ever inside of me, you know, I'm the biggest victim, or I have these needs, or this is what I want, he's a, that's fine, but nobody can say yes to that. A community says yes together to what is objective and true. So he says, use your heads. Think. Read the text. Look at Christ. Agree what it is to be loving, and then everybody pull on the same end of the rope. And we come every week... And what we say, the first thing out of the box, we say, I belong to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because he baptized me. And then immediately what we say is, and I want to lose everything in my life that is unloving. And so we examine ourselves according to the Ten Commandments. That's the sieve. That's the grid. That's the standard. So we put the Ten Commandments against ourselves and we extract anything that is outside that. That is what it is to live in love. Okay, does that make sense? It's really objective, but it takes some work. And it doesn't always have to do with feelings. Sometimes it feels good. Many times it feels not. It actually feels horrible to say, I disappointed Christ again this week because I didn't say my prayers. Or I disappointed Christ again this week because I was sharp with my mouth. That's very painful to say. It's doubly painful to say it in front of a lot of people. You know? But we all sort of are in it together, so we all stand up and say it together. That's what we do because we're church. Um, what I would like you to do my guess is that it's been a very long time since you read through your catechism. Uh, and this is what I want to actually do with you next week, which is I just want you to look this thing called the table of duties, you know, and I get to go first. It's miserable. You're on page two, you know. Uh, so, you know, I go home and read what, what, what the Lord says to pastors and bishops and preachers, which is impossible. And then, you know what, you can turn to page 36, <clears throat> and you can see how impossible your life is going to be, too. And then we need to talk about that, you know, how that can be forgiven. So I would urge you, to, I'll, I'll read the first page, and then I'm going to read my other places, like I'm a citizen, so I'm going to read page 37, 
and I'm going to read, I'm a husband, so I'm going to read on page 38, and I'm a parent, so I'm going to read that on 38, and I go to work every day, so I'm going to read at the bottom of 38, and I encourage you to find your own place. This just gathers up scripture about who you are. So I'll read page one, and you read page two, okay, because I'm a pastor and you're here, so just read what Christ says to you, and then just go through and read the rest of them. That's where we're going to start. It's going to, and, and you're going to be, it's going to be fearsome when you read it as the law, but it's going to be great when you read it as the gospel because this is the possibility for your life. There's a possibility still that we can live in Christ's way, truth, life, and because of that be full of joy. Then beyond that, we're going to do something that I think maybe some of you have not done before, which is we're going to take a pretty healthy look at what each of the commandments say. Over the years, different people have passed down such things. This is, um, Peter Bender put this together, but did any of you go to Valpo? Did any of you have Kevin, uh, uh, did you have, you had Dr. Corby, Kenneth Corby at Valpo? Any of you guys have Corby? Corby was bright boy who when he would teach at Valpo got rave reviews, and when he, it late in his years, when he came to the seminary, the, the, the attendance for a class is capped at 30 or so because that's all the seats there were. People would stand in the hallways outside just to hear him. So he had, he was bright boy, he had this early career at Valpo. One of the professors, one of the professors there now told me at his departure, he came in and pounded on my desk and said, um, you know, this is no way to live. This is not the church. And he went to Gary, Indiana. You've been to Gary? Or maybe you've avoided going to Gary. And he took a, a, he took a parish or two, extraordinarily poor, uh, and thoroughly African-American, and he spent his life, and, and he did that a couple places, he spent his life kind of serving poor people and being pastor of them. The guy, he could have been king of anything, and instead, you know, he chose to serve at an altar with extraordinarily poor people in very difficult circumstances for, the, for, for his life. He knows what he's talking about. He died of a stroke a few years ago. Um, so I, I think... Just, just read this. I don't know if you've ever done this, but we need to talk about this part of the catechism, and we need to talk about this extension of the catechism. And then the last thing I've given you is what Luther thought everybody was going to do before they went to the Eucharist, which is the final page. If you're going to the Eucharist every week, this is what you go through. This is what you used to do in confession, or if you went and talked to your pastor, or even as your own preparation, this is what you did. So now, my only nervousness about all I've said today is you'll go home and hear this as a thoroughgoing blast of law. Um, even in me, you know, still, to hear the Ten Commandments, it's very easy to hear them as, you know, but you also need to hear them as the gospel. You need to hear this as your only chance. Your only chance. If you hear it as, I got to do this, you're going to be dead by next week. If you hear this as Christ does it for me and gives it to me as a gift, there's a chance that you can live and that we can live together as community. And that's where we're going. So try to, at the end of the day, here it is Christ who fulfills the law and gives it to you as gift, okay? So um, we'll take a spin kind of from number six on, but just consider this, would you please? Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Uh, do gather your questions. Be ready. We'll take. We'll go with questions first thing off the bat next week. Thank you.